0: This is a WTOP original podcast.
1: From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. During the Cold War.
0: There were three spies, moles in American intelligence in Russian operations.
1: Their names were Edward Lee Howard, Aldrich Ames, and Robert Hansen. But former CIA covert officer Robert Bayer says authorities discovered something else.
0: The CIA and the FBI sat down and looked at all the compromises that they knew about and said there's got to be another guy at the CIA.
1: And that guy is still at large. So he's written a new book about it called The Fourth Man, the hunt for a KGB spy at the top of the CIA and the rise of Putin's Russia. Coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. we investigate the threats the people behind them the agencies fighting them and the impact on you this is target usa the national security podcast i'm jj green i'm not going to waste a lot of time building or setting this up you know the guy his name is robert bayer you've seen movies based on some of his story one of them was syriana Uh, And you've read probably books about him, and you certainly may have seen him on television doing analysis on international and even U.S. intelligence and national security events. So let's get right to it. He's written a new book. It's called The Fourth Man. This is one of the biggest developments that I've seen in a long time when it comes to what we're learning now about the Cold War. Robert Bayer, you've written several books before, but this latest one, It's called The Fourth Man, the hunt for a KGB spy at the top of the CIA and the rise of Putin's Russia is absolutely fantastic. It is eye-opening and what it does for me as somebody who's known you for a few years, it's just the more questions you answer, the more I have. So I'm going to just start with some of these questions today. The fourth man. who is the four, Who was the fourth man?
0: Well, they based the numbering on that there were three spies, moles in American intelligence in Russian operations. And, you know, the names Ed Lee Howard, who defected to Russia. Uh, Rick Ames was arrested in February 94. And Bob Hansen, the FBI agent who was arrested in 2001. And what happened was. In May, the CIA and the FBI sat down and looked at all the compromises that they knew about and said, there's got to be another guy at the CIA. This was this was not ambiguous. It was agreed upon by the people who knew what they were talking about. They said there had to be another guy. We can't lay all this on Ames and Howard. And they vaguely knew about an FBI source. They didn't know about Hanson by name. So you add up these three guys and there was clearly somebody else out there that that had never been unmasked, let alone caught and indicted.
1: So it's my understanding that this search is still going on today. Is that right?
0: This is the longest running espionage investigation in American history that I know about, at least. Uh, It's gone on since um, May 94. And as of six weeks ago, JJ, uh, the FBI has been visiting my sources, not in a hostile way, but looking to see if there's anything they missed. The F. This is not a question of the FBI not doing its job. It's a question. I'm glad we're taping this. Sorry about that. Look, this is not a question of the FBI not doing its job. It's a question of that the fourth man was so good and he was well positioned to hide any evidence he was positioned to know what the FBI was up to so he could counter them at every um, I've talked to the FBI about this and they are serious as a heart attack. They do not treat this as an urban myth, as a conspiracy theory. And they have stopped at nothing to try to nail this guy.
1: Are they making any progress on this?
0: Well, as far as I understand, and I don't have a complete insight into the case, he didn't take money. He didn't pass documents that could ever be traced back to him. Um, and what he did was everything he gave to the KGB, he based it around the known moles, Hansen, Ames, and Edley Howard. So the guy was playing a brilliant game of chess with the FBI and CIA counterintelligence. I'm getting this from the investigators. This is not hearsay. This is what they tell me. And I quote them directly. This, this book is not derivative. It's the investigators came to me and said, you have to look at this. We think there was another spy. Um, I named them all in the book who they were directly involved in the investigation. And incidentally, I gave the manuscript both to the FBI and the CIA and said, look, guys, I know this investigation is going on. You don't want to admit it openly to me. And I don't I don't blame them. But if there's anything in this book that you find sensitive that interferes with your investigation, please take it out. And they did take out some things.
1: So, Robert, um, how looking at this individual... How far up the food chain was this person? I mean, we know what Ames and Hansen and the others did, their jobs, et cetera. But how far up the chain is this fourth person?
0: He was right at the top and in a position to give up basically everything the National Security Agency possessed in terms of intercepts, encryption systems. A lot of stuff at the Pentagon, weapons systems, redesign to things like the Patriot. He was in a position to give up stuff out of the White House, for instance, conversations between Yeltsin and Clinton, uh, which were extremely sensitive at the time. They're declassified now, but they were very sensitive Um, and State Department context because he read all their messages. So if the ambassador in Moscow was having a sensitive conversation with the Russian. The KGB knew about it. And when I say the KGB, by 98, 99, that was Vladimir Putin.
1: Wow. You know, what part of this book, what part of your research and all of the work that you did to put this book together, what was the most revelatory to you? What was the most revealing to you? What what, what thing did you find that was most enlightening?
0: Uh, Most enlightening was that Rick Ames was given up by a CIA asset, a spy in Russian counterintelligence. There was a meeting at Greenbrier where he stated, look, your mole, he didn't know Ames's name, is going to Caracas to meet a guy named Koretkin, a colleague of mine. That unloosened the FBI investigation. They suspected Ames, but they really knew it was him. And then they then they then they put surveillance on and broke into the house and the rest of it. So that broke open that investigation. He was the same asset who gave up Nicholson, another Russian spy in the CIA. It was very clearly he said it was all but the name described Nicholson. Um, And he was the one that said there's a fourth man. A lot of people don't like this asset because he was fairly unreliable. But he said there was a there was a fourth man. And he said, look, here's what he gave up. He sits in the senior director of operations meetings, staff meetings. He gave up this, the USSR desk. He gave up this and that. He didn't know the name of the fourth man, but he described him in a way that suggested he knew what he was talking about.
1: Well, so I think some of the stuff, just based on what I'm hearing from you and reading your books, you know, some stuff that you're not talking, you're not saying and, and, and so I'm just wondering, is that by design Were you asked to do that or is that your decision?
0: And, and no, I put in the book every conversation I had, I put the literal conversation in footnotes. So I had 30,000 words of footnotes, which is a lot for a 60,000, you know, word book. And the CIA took out most of it, like the names of his handlers. The FBI didn't want that in where the exact first meeting occurred in 1984. Um, What were the circumstances? They asked me to take that out. Um, Various compromises around the world, um, that whole paragraphs they took out didn't affect the narrative, but they took it out. Um, I didn't have in the book, for instance, it came too late that the FBI is out asking about the book and about to my sources. And again, in a not in a hostile way, but to see what they missed, which, which is the, this is absolutely proper. This is the way you do it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They don't care about the, they just, they do the investigation and they asked about the fourth man by name. You know, if the FBI investigates you, they've gotta have probable cause. They just can't go out and decide they don't like you, knock on your neighbor's door and saying, are you a criminal? They need probable cause. And again, I go back to the fact that this is the longest running counter espionage investigation in American history.
1: Is there a short list of people?
0: I write the book in to give everybody the chance to make up their mind who the fourth man is. Um, I bring these characters forward. I I show their strengths and their weaknesses, how they ended up on the list. So it's, it's a bit of a thriller. And at the end, I don't conclude who the fourth man is. I leave it up to the reader. But as the FBI analyst who followed all these cases, going back to Ames and Howard and the rest of it. And he's, he's brilliant. A guy named Jill Milburn said to me, he's left the FBI now, it was a couple months ago. He said, look, you don't know three quarters of what we have on the fourth man. He didn't mention his name, but we, we knew who he was talking about. So I leave that up to the reader and I leave up the possibility that this is a long running disinformation campaign. Um, there are people smarter than I in Russian operations who are going to say, obviously, yeah, it is, or, or whatever they're going to say. But the fact is, the people in the government are convinced there was a fourth man, and he's still alive.
1: Do you get the sense that this individual who's still alive is still impacting or still uh, plays a role in, in the U.S. Russia espionage game?
0: No, he's a couple of the guys, some of them have died and and some of them are alive. Um, They they have no more access. But it's the idea that the Russians and they the Russians have not taken this book well, because I make the case that they gave up what's called the Queen's Sacrifice agents to protect more important agents. KGB hates that. I mean, they did a a critique of the book in RT, which is, is a little bit crazy, but why they even paid attention to it, you know, is a Cold War story, but they did. Um, But it's the idea that the Russians were so deep. Into this government, and there's also the point that's been made to me by the investigators is this case was run by counterintelligence rather than the Foreign Intelligence Service, which means the KGB in Washington has a parallel intelligence service very active in Washington, which we know next to nothing about.
1: There's a chapter in this book. I mean, I love all the chapters, but there's one in this book that it's chapter 19 and it's called The Glimmer. And there, it starts off with a paragraph that I, I want to I, I read very quickly and get your thoughts on this um, to help me and I guess maybe others understand a little better. You say there's one thing in the espionage business you rarely get, and that is closure. You can work on an account for decades and never find the answers to the important questions. Then, after you retire, it's unusual to hear from your colleagues. When you're out, you're out, as the saying goes. But there are exceptions. What does that mean?
0: Well, that means in this book, it has nothing to do with me. And and frankly, J.J., I just like a book that has nothing to do with me. It's like the only connections I have is I'm told I was totally ignorant of any of this, basically, about the Molhans counter espionage. And that I approached this book as a stenographer. This is what the people told me. This is what the people that didn't believe the narrative told me. And I'll go right through that to help the reader Um, and, and I knew there was a mole hunt by 1994, 1995, because one of the mole hunters was put in on on my section at the CIA. And I was told to keep my mouth shut and not ask her what she was doing. And I thought that was very weird. And I said, well, wait a minute. She works for me. I sign her, her time and attendance. Just shut up. Don't ask. I noticed she was working off air gapped grid. Um, when she would have meetings, they were outside the building. And I thought, all right, here's another mystery in the CIA that was going right in front of my nose, Mr. Magoo's nose. And I had no idea what was going on. And after all these years, more than 20 years, they came to me, sat me down and said, you have to pursue this story. And here's where you go. And I got to all the investigators that are still alive. I got the hardest was the FBI counterintelligence. And they gave me bits and pieces of the story. Um, But this investigation, you call up the FBI now and say, hey, we're not going to talk about this. And that's all I'll say. And they've done a great job of covering this up because I know several journalists that would love to get this story and carry it on and and see if my conclusions are right. Well, not my conclusions, the investigators or they're wrong, but they they can't get to it. The Washington Post, The New York Times, they just can't get the story.
1: So, you know, as a journalist and Somebody who does work with sources, one of the things you don't do is you never ask somebody who their sources are. Um, And I'm not going to do that here.
0: But wait, JJ, I went to all my sources and I said, can I put you in the footnotes when you said this and what you did? And I'm going to give the manuscript to the FBI and say, and they said yes. So I have their assent. On everything Uh you see in that book they knew the manuscript would it would end up and that they knew they'd be identified so this is a little bit different i'm not a proper journalist you are obligated to keep your sources anonymous yeah Uh, i i chose to go the other way simply because it's so sensitive
1: yeah well that you know that's i'm glad you explained that my question was a little different though you said they came to you 20 years later and said you basically have to do this try to get you to investigate this to look at this can you say who that was
0: here it was led by a guy named bill lofgren he was the head of the, the central eurasia division which included russia and eastern europe um he had alluded to another mole in one of our meetings when we were still in the cia and we were out at, at great falls after lunch he's got louis body dementia and I was driving him back and and he just dropped the name on me. He says I think this guy was a mole. And and I said, oh, come on, Bill. You know, you've got to be this. This can't be that's that would everything at the CIA would have been compromised. Everything. He says, you know, t- go back and talk to Lane Bannerman, who led the investigation, first identified him, talk to Diana Worthen, who did first to identify Ames, she had worked on the Russia desk. So and once I got that far, I decided to only go with primary sources like John Lewis. Uh, national security at the FBI um, told me his part of the story. The people who put the handcuffs on Ames told me there was a fourth man. Uh, so I, I did, everybody had a piece of the story. Some of the senior people at the FBI Um, after the book came out, are not answering my emails. So I just, it's too sensitive for them.
1: And that's part of the reason why folks were talking to Robert Bayer, because he never plays games. He always tells you straight up what's what. And that particular question that I asked him about, you know, who, who came to him was an example of that. You'll find it all in the book. The book is called The Fourth Man. The hunt for a KGB spy at the top of the CIA, and top is, I think, the operative word, and the rise of Putin's Russia. So I want to just shift gears just a little bit and talk about the rise of Putin's Russia here. What, looking at what you know about Putin, what Putin's doing now with this war in Ukraine and, you know, the assassination or in the attempts to assassinate people, everything that's taken place since this research started What is this telling you about Vladimir Putin and what is this telling you about his Russia and the threat that it poses to the rest of the world?
0: What I've learned is going back to 1991, 1992, the fall of the Soviet Union, the end of Gorbachev era, the KGB was wounded, but not down and out. And what it did is set about putting its people all through the government, active reserve, as they're called. So Putin goes to St. Petersburg. He works in the mayor's office. He was sent there by hardliners at the KGB. Who wanted to embed him with the mayor, Subchuk. He did a great job there. He pleased Subchuk, was, was a Democrat. And then he works his way into the Kremlin. So he was very much the front man, and everything I've read a lot on this, and talked to a lot of people for a KGB coup d'etat, which occurs in 1999 when Yeltsin resigns. By 2000, uh, Putin's at war in Chechnya, burnishes credentials, gets elected properly, and then places KGB people all over the government. So what we're dealing with in this, in this silent coup d'etat, which occurred in 1999, we're dealing with a deep state. I hate that word because uh, they don't apply to democracies, but they apply to Russia. So he's running this deep state. And, and not only is it, is it all powerful, but it, it has these crazy conspiratorial ideas. And, and it, 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 does, it sees the world with blinders. And this is why Putin went into Ukraine. Now, going back to the book, my contention is that if we hadn't by 1999, we had no sources in Russia and neither the State Department, neither the National Security Agency of any worth. Uh, the CIA exfiltrated 98. This is long after Ames, by the way. It's five assets that it's running so we weren't even aware what the KGB was doing underground. And it was, uh, you know, saying it's a Pearl Harbor is going way too far. Um, but it was sort of because we this this tsunami of of K hardline KGB statists, as they call themselves, was coming to power and has brought us to the brink of World War Three. Twenty two years later um it, it's a long time but their delusions have taken over the government and like i said you know when putin cuts off gas to europe and they're freezing this year people ask why does this story matter well we missed it and it was thanks to the fourth man and europe is freezing and we're very close to world war three and, and so it's very much a story that's relevant today still today
1: It absolutely is relevant to today and relevant to tomorrow. So I want to ask you one more question about this book as it relates to Putin, Russia, and again, tomorrow. Um, What do you think the impact is going to be of this war tomorrow on the U.S., Ukraine, Europe specifically? uh, And, of course, you know, where, where Russia stands and Putin stands right now?
0: Well, if you let me go out on a branch on this, um, I think it's going to contribute to a shellacking of the Democrats this round. Twenty twenty four. We're going to get a right wing president. The Republicans are going to ignore January 6th and they're going to go for inflation, whether it's energy or grain or anything else. They're going to say, look, the Democrats failed. Yeah, forget forget Trump. And we'll have a hard right government by 2024. Like I'm way out on a limb on this, but this is what I see coming. This is what Putin has done to the United States.
1: So you don't see a Biden or a Putin, uh, a Biden or a Trump in 2024.
0: Um, if the Republicans have a brain, I'll go with somebody like DeSantis, who, who wasn't part of 6 January, you know. But he will—he's uh, charismatic in his own way, and and he will just say this government has failed, and and the Russian part of the formula is going to get lost in all this. Let's just say the Democrats failed, and you know we for so long go on and say foreign policy espionage is meaningless to us. You know we live our lives; we've got two oceans between us. But the fact is, it's going to determine our future.
1: What about the people who've embraced Russia, members of the Senate, members of the House, those who, for whatever reason, whether it was money, dirty money, or ideology, what about those folks in 2024? You know, what do they do? Where do they go? Which way do they lean?
0: I mean, what I don't understand, J.J., is how you could look at Russia and Putin and the assassinations and the genocide he's committing in ukraine whether you're pro or anti-ukrainian how you could justify any of this in this far-right uh embrace of putin is, is 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 crazy to me i mean you know the people on rt and the rest of it and rand paul and and all of them it's it's crazy it's what it is if anybody to be pro-putin who's clearly an existential threat to the united states and decide with moscow in my Cold War book, is treasonous.
1: Robert, one of the things that some of the sources that I have, and you and I have spoken about this, I think, before, we've talked about that some of these people are doing some of the crazy things they're doing, is money. And I'm wondering, do you think that is what's gotten these certain senators and certain legislators and certain prominent people doing the things they're doing.
0: It started out that way. I mean, you look at Brexit, this argument's still going on in Britain. It very much looks to me that the Russians funded Brexit. Um, they, and there's the whole, the whole Trump saga, you know, what exactly happened there with the Steele report. I mean, it looks to me as if the Russians started the whole, well, we know they hacked the DNC Um. But it looks like to me that almost that the Russians wrote the Steele report sort of undermine any anti-Russian propaganda saying, look, it's all a hoax. Russia's a hoax. If the Russians, in fact, are behind this disinformation, I'm not saying Steele is, but the the information in it is Moscow based. I mean, it's absolutely brilliant strategy, you know, for these guys don't have many face cards, but. Wow, they know how to use them.
1: The book is called The Fourth Man. The author is Robert B. Bayer. And I've said this before. You know, I really like um, talking to him and listening to him and hearing what he has to say because he's a straight shooter. And you're going to find that in this book and you're going to find it in all of his books. And if you get an opportunity to hear him, to see him, go do it. Because The Fourth Man is is nothing short of, in my view, is nothing short of a bombshell that hasn't exploded yet because people have not figured out just how important what he's saying in this book is and how real it is. Get it, read it, and you'll get what I'm saying. Robert, thank you again.
0: Thank you so much for the vote of confidence.
1: That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up, In our next episode, the assassination of former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. It's a lesson learned from a tragic incident like this. You learn uh, ways to do things better. A.T. Smith, former Deputy Director of the Secret Service. But there's another problem that politicians and public figures face today. This sort of the volatile atmosphere that's out there and how passionate people are or become. And then there are the politicians and public servants that don't have protective details. There's many, many, many candidates that run for
0: office that have no sort of security, if you will.
1: Details on what they need to do. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at WTOP.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at whiskey tango oscar papa j green at wtop.com also please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on twitter we're at tusa podcast that's at tango uniform sierra alpha podcast and if you want more national security news you can sign up for my newsletter it's called inside the skiff and you can sign up at wtop.com/email i'm
0: jj green and
1: this it's Target USA. The National Security Podcast.
0: Hey, Cobra Kai fans. Come hear what Peyton List has to say on Kicking It With The Coves this week.
1: Peyton plays one of my favorite characters, Tori Nichols.
0: Our stunt coordinators came up with a sort of training background for each character. Mm, like, that's interesting. Uh, Tori had done a little kickboxing before, so that kind of came in when I first tried to take on Miguel and why I was cocky enough to think that. You know, I could come in here and I could just make an entrance.
1: Listen to Kicking It With The Coves, now at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast One, and wherever you can sweep your leg and get the podcasts.